When the government vets people for security clearances, some small differences show up in how it looks at federal employees and contractors. That's one conclusion of a detailed study conducted by the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, INSA. Here with details, Michael Hudson, the Senior Director of Government Solutions at ClearForce. Michael, good to have you back, and we should point out that you're speaking kind of as an adjunct faculty to INSA in this case and not for ClearForce. You helped with that study. Yeah, that's right, and I appreciate uh, being back. All right, so what did you – first of all, what was the genesis of the study? Why did you look at security clearance contractors vis-a-vis government employees? Yeah, so uh, there was a kind of a conversation taking place that would say – Government employees were vetted differently than uh, civilians working in the defense industry, right? So individuals who had potentially at one point served in the government, uh, served in its military, kind of like myself in this case, uh, 30 years in the Marines, and now I work for a defense company. We were somehow looked at through a different set of lenses, and the reality is we're not. Um, The process is the same as it was even when I was serving. I mean they've made clearly improvements, but in essence it's this. Um, you go through a background investigation that's initiated by Standard Form 86. So that collects – If uh, you can get through that form, you're halfway home. <laughs> right. That's 120 pages I think the last time I looked. So that's that's not a trivial event. Now, the, the good news is when I filled it out the first time, I was using uh, pen and paper. Uh, today, it's uh, it's a digital system through a, an equip process. So that's actually better, streamlines the information getting into the system and enables information sharing uh, as it relates to the investigation. So and by the way, can you start the form and then go back to it later? Do you get an account, so to speak? Yeah, so- that's interesting. I haven't filled out the new equip. So the last time that I applied for a security clearance or had my periodic reinvestigation, um, it was through a manual process. So I filled out a significant amount of those 120 pages. All right. So anyhow, INSA decided to look at the difference, if there were any, because of suspicion that maybe government employees were getting a little easier rides, perhaps, than contractors? Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, that was one of the drivers to why we looked at it. And as I said earlier, the reality is that uh, they're both being vetted through that SF-86, and then they go to the National Background Investigation Bureau. The federal investigative standards uh, are applied. The adjudicative guidelines, the 13 of them, are equally applied uh, against the application for a suitability or fitness determination that allows them then to be issued a clearance and then granted access at the appropriate level by the agency that controls that information. All right. So then the report found nothing, no difference between the two? Well, what it found is it teed up a couple of conversations. So one is we're looked at the same way, whether you're in the federal government, directly employed, have worked for the federal government now on the outside, or you work for a defense contractor or in the defense industry and you apply for access. So the process is in essence the same. What we found were some of the differences were – and once you get issued that clearance is, is how do they continually evaluate it or monitor, right? Because a background check is really a snapshot in time looking backwards. And the goal of that is to say, well, based on historical data at this moment in time, we think this individual going forward uh, should be granted access. So the government now is doing this continuous evaluation. You're seeing that. They're looking at ways, continuous review, at ways to constantly update that process. And so we found some little bit differences in there. One is in the use of social media. Uh, the government has is not fully embraced bringing that on, though they have some some guidance out there. Security Initiative Directive Number Five, Seed Five, talks about how social media can be used. You find some of the defense contractors, the defense companies, um, are already bringing some of that in as a way to see the difference. And the other big challenge we discovered was some of the information sharing, and I think that's a uh, another key component. So there's requirements if you are a, a cleared defense contractor, a cleared defense company. That if you have derogatory information of an, one of your employees that has a clearance uh, and has a clearance and working on the government site, you're required to share that information, right? There's processes and pathways to do that. 
Conversely, if that same employee is working on a government site, for the government to share that information back to the uh, company, there are some barriers in that, and that makes it a little bit problematic. The government can't share information about a contractor working in the government back to that company? Yeah, there are some restrictions in there around privacy. A lot of that is. Got it. Right? And then there are some processes. What is the mechanism for the government uh, writ large? So let's pick an intelligence community. I'll just grab one, say the uh, FBI. So they'll have processes and how they move information internally. Then for the FBI, though, to go back, say, to, let's say, my company, Clearforce, there are processes that they would have to follow. And in some cases, those become impediments to information sharing, especially in real time. We're speaking with Michael Hudson, the Senior Director of Government Solutions at Clearforce and a contributor to the Intelligence and National Security Alliance study of the security clearance process. And let's go back to social media for a minute. Explain more about how that works. Companies often look at social media when vetting would-be employees. I don't think the government does that at this point, not, not so much for security clearance. We're just talking about hiring. So how does that come into security clearance and how does it differ on the two sides? Yeah, so the way I think about social media is really through three principal bins. It's people, places, and things. So you're trying to discover activities within those bins using social media. And what you want to do is bring social media in either as a way to alert the organization and say, here, there's some activity that's potentially troubling, right, about an individual place or thing. And then you want to be able to uh, fuse that or collaborate that information with other data to reach a, a conclusion on where your risk or risk may or may not. So government is, a, is bringing that on, but I don't think they're as far along in the conversation as some of the, the clear defense contractors are who are more aggressively bringing that in. And the key in all this, though, the key in all this we have to remember is you have to build this trusted workforce. So that's one of the challenges as well, right? So as we talk about social media, people are like, hey, wait a minute, they're, what are they doing? The goal here of looking at individuals through uh, a wellness program followed by an insider threat program. Those are designed not to find nails because your primary tool is a hammer. That's designed really to let organizations know that, hey, we're supporting the 99% of people that can work every day doing it right. We want to become aware of risks that are potentially in their lives that they could bring into the workplace that could then come into the government space. So in other words, a company might know a little bit more about a person than the government would know for purposes of security clearance. Right. And that works both ways, though. See, so if you think about some of the recent cases that have hit the news, these were employees of companies. The company did all the vetting to make the hiring decision. Then they went through the government security process and were found suitable and uh, had the right uh, level of fitness to receive a clearance. But then that company loses sight of them. They're working on the government side every day. So if that company has a really good, you know, see something, say something program, well, if that individual never comes to work because he's on a government site, that kind of doesn't help. If they, they have a really good cyber system, but if they never log onto that company's network, kind of doesn't help. So right? you can't see the new Lamborghini they might have bought or something. Or... <laughs> well, no, but absolutely. I mean, undue affluence is one of the things that they would look at, right? So it's not just finances in the way of are they on a negative trajectory that would make them susceptible um, to outside bad actors potentially approaching. We've seen that in the news recently, both on the education side, the story about Harvard, that Harvard professor. You've seen some stuff down in Texas, sure. right, where China uses finances as a way to approach an individual um, – so you, companies need to be aware that that individual is struggling financially in front of and help shore, shore that up, right? That's kind of one of the key things. The social media part of that in some cases can be helpful um, where you can have access to and see potential activities that might be troubling or concerning. Yeah, it is, I guess, surprising what people are willing to tell about themselves in social media as if their employer may not see it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I have a low social media footprint. But then I, you know, I have a 26-year-old and a 21-year-old and I, you know, I'm co- constantly cautioning them. It's like, okay, be careful what you put out there because regardless of what you think, it is, uh, it doesn't go away, right? And let me ask you this. In studying the 
the security clearance process, which has been revised and it's changed ownership and so forth, been a lot of pressure on it. How does it look to you in general relative to, say, two, three years ago? Oh, absolutely moving in the right direction, I think. And that's part of what, what INSA does. I mean, if you think about uh, INSA is a, a nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, organization that works in the intelligence community. I mean, they help set up venues where, uh, in fact, there's one coming up here in March where we're going to talk about the trusted workforce. And you have Senator Warner is going to participate in that. Then you bring in the CEO perspective, right? So you bring in this right balance of government, senior defense leaders, and they, they facilitate these conversations. I think so. I would suggest that INSA and other companies are part of helping the government move forward in improving these processes. But I think there's a lot of work going on that right now. Michael Hudson is Senior Director of Government Solutions at Clearforce and a contributor to the INSA report on security clearances. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks. We'll post this interview along with a link to the report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.